This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Tonight I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 to 16. Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, Hear now, O house of David. Is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Curds and honey he shall eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that you dread will be forsaken by both her kings. This is the word of the Lord. Second portion is from the Gospel according to Matthew, and it's a tradition that we stand as we hear the good news, what God is doing through Jesus the Messiah. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. Slicker. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they had come together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to, to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, that which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. He did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. We are in the fourth season of Advent, and Advent is a season of preparation. We're all preparing for something. The coming of the Lord, because lots of things are coming in the season. Yes? Christmas is coming. Anyone excited? Parties are coming. Presents are coming. Jesus is coming. The credit card bill at the end of the month is coming. Okay? Lots of things are coming. Some of them are good, and some of them are bad. And we have to deal with all of them. For those that might not know, Advent is the actual start of the, the Christian calendar, the liturgical year. Uh, for the Jewish calendar, it's in um, Rosh Hashanah at the, in September, October, but here ours is in November, December. And we have this season of preparation. And each of the four weeks has a particular topic to think about. 
And the fourth Sunday in Advent is always dedicated to Mary. Ooh. So now I think everybody probably wants to leave, yes? So Mikey will put up the first slide. Yes, an icon. And I know here at this point, like, oh, but we're in a Protestant church. Please don't give me any of this Catholic stuff. Mary, we said it in our prayers. It's in the gospel. All generations will call me blessed. Did we not say that? And yet, one of the things in Protestant Christianity is we're not 100% sure how to handle that. Other traditions tend to overdo it, do they not? And yet, some traditions have it slightly underwhelming and we don't talk about her at all. And so, in the uh, lectionary... In the, in the Christian calendar, for those that follow that tradition, then uh, at least you have one Sunday to talk about her. And perhaps have a look at her example and see what we can learn. And perhaps give her a little bit of honor, just as the Bible does, but in the right way. So here we have uh, an icon and uh, I happen to, I come obviously from a Protestant tradition, and I'm going to admit that when I first walked into the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, I went, and uh, like normal Protestants. <laughs> but I didn't also appreciate beauty. Now, people don't worship icons, just so you know. In the Jewish tradition, you worship God with all of your senses. You worship God with your eyes. You worship God with your ears. You say your prayers. You taste. You, you eat your sacrifice that you have taken before the Lord. You smell incense. All of your senses are used. And in the Protestant tradition, we pretty much cut everything away and just go to ears and mouth. There's sometimes a little bit of taste as well. Okay? But um, what you're meant to do is you're meant to look at these pictures and ponder them and perhaps meditate on some truth that is somehow coming to your eye. Now this icon is found in the church of St. Mark, the Syrian Orthodox Church, about four minutes that way. It's one of the potential sites for the upper room, maybe. This icon, uh, according to their tradition, was painted by St. Luke. That's probably not true. But it is definitely a very old icon. And it has, obviously, Mary and Jesus. And they're covered, the halos of gold. That's, that's very typical of a lot of religious pictures. They, they love to sort of make the holy, righteous person look very special. But something else is covered in gold. What is it? It's Mary's hands. And they have a little, this, if you go into the church of St. Mark, the icon's sort of tucked in a little corner. It's got only one chair sitting in front of it. So one person at a time can sit down and look at it. And it can sometimes be dark in these churches. But you'll be drawn to the gold. And you'll see what she's holding. And what is she holding? The treasure of the world. And so when you sit down, she says, here, here he is. 
Here's the hope. Here's the light. Here's the redemption. Here's the coming one. Here's the promise which God made to all of our fathers. This is plan A. And unlike humans, God doesn't have a plan B. So the Redeemer is going to come like this. Strange as it might seem, prophesied so long ago that behold, King, there will be a a sign and it will be a, a virgin who will give birth. I learned a lot of things about Orthodox Christianity in my 21 years here and I've come to appreciate some of their beauty. That doesn't mean I'm going to rush out and become one. But uh, I do at least appreciate the uh, uh, adoration of God that uh, some of our brothers and sisters in the Orthodox family have and also some of the traditions that they have. Mary is the only person in the Bible that God speaks directly to. Sorry, only woman in the Bible that God speaks directly to. Speaks directly to men but in, in this case, God speaks directly to a woman. Even Eve didn't hear directly, individually, God's voice. She was always with her husband. One thing I learned this morning, and it took me a little bit when Sandy Shoshani mentioned it, there are no parents of Joseph or Mary mentioned in the Bible, are there? None. We've got a cousin. We don't have any of their upper family. I wonder why not. So, I'll ask a question. How old are Joseph and Mary when they get married? What do you think? Sorry? She's about 13. It's possible. The Bible doesn't say. It doesn't say. Mary and Joseph, we have no idea how old they are. So we assume, particularly in the Western tradition, that they're young, you know, 14, 15, 16-year-olds. We sort of reimagine the, uh, the context of the day. People were getting married young back then. My parents got married at 19. I thought that was a shock. Uh, I got married at 23. Now anybody getting married before 30 is like having a shock, yes? Okay. But um, there is uh, more traditions. Anyone been to the Church of St. Anne? Yes? Why is it called St. Anne? Who is St. Anne? Anyone know? It's her mother. So where do we get that information from? Certainly not from our texts, our Gospels, but there is another text that's actually being preserved by the Orthodox tradition. It's called, it's got a weird name, uh, the Proto-Evangelon to St. James, also known as the Infancy of Jesus has a few of the stories about Jesus when he was a kid, but also talks about Mary. And Mary has two parents, like the rest of us, Jehoiakim and Anna, and they live at St. Anne's a long time ago. Unfortunately, they don't live too long into Mary's life, and by the time she's three, she's an orphan, and uh, she's given to the temple. Why the temple? Because what is true religion according to the Bible? 
What does the book of James say? And the book of Ezekiel. True religion is taking care of widows and orphans. And so one of the functions of the temple, as corrupt as it might be, you still can't get away that you've got to take care of the people who can't take care of themselves. So there is a tradition that Mary is given into the hands uh, of the temple and uh, just like Samuel is brought up so she spends a fair bit of her early life in a very special place where heaven and earth meet so she sees all kinds of things she also gets to hang out with two very interesting people who do we know is living in the temple Simeon and Anna, the prophetess. Could you imagine the conversations that they've had? Could you imagine the things that she's seen? So when she actually has a visitation by the angel, our texts don't say Mary was shocked at the sudden appearance of a man in her room. What the text says is she was disturbed by his words. Not the fact that an angel had shown up, but rather what the angel had said. Perhaps she's had a little more experience than we let on. Let's have a look at the uh, second icon. This is uh, actually one of my favorites. In the uh, Protestant tradition, we have a tendency to always say that Jesus is the older brother. Yes? Yep. How do we know that? Just because. <laughs> Never let a fact get in the way of a good tradition. <laughs> the text actually doesn't say. However, there is, again, according to the Orthodox Church, you know, this 400 million other Christians that we have a tendency not to talk, talk with, um, but they have a tradition that actually Jesus is the younger brother. That Joseph was actually older. Which is the story you find in Ruth. How old is Boaz and how old is Ruth? Well, the text doesn't say, but Jewish tradition always puts Ruth at half the age of Boaz. So no matter what you do age for Ruth, just double it, that's Boaz's age. So if she's 20, he's 40. If she's 30, he's 60. If she's 40, he's 80. Okay? Doesn't matter what it is. It's just it's little, this thing. So there's also a tradition in the Orthodox that also Joseph had had a wife and the wife had died. It's Orthodox tradition. And, uh, and the temple had these young ladies and its responsibility is to marry them off because they're their guardians. And so they paired people up and they pair this couple up, Joseph and Mary. And, uh, and so it ends up, according to their tradition, that he's the youngest brother. And that actually fits the biblical pattern. God always chooses the youngest he chooses Jacob, not Esau. He chooses Isaac, not Ishmael. He chooses David, not Reuben. He always chooses the youngest one. Also explains why on the cross, when Jesus is dying, he looks at his mum and he doesn't say, 
Mom, I'm about to die, but that's okay. The rest of the family will take care of you. Because they're not hers, according to the Orthodox. And so he has to have the disciple John take care of her. And so think about the home life now that Mary is going to endure. But first, in this icon, you have uh, the Holy Family fleeing into Egypt. There's Joseph. He's old. Uh, Mary's looking young and nice, riding side saddle. And uh, there's Jesus on, jo- on uh, Joseph's back. And who's the young boy pushing the horse? At this stage, a, a white stallion. Uh, it's James. So it's the, the sort of a, the idea that the Holy Family was already a bit larger than, uh, than what we think. And this also answers the question why in the book of uh, James and Jude those guys don't identify themselves as brothers of Jesus. They'll say, I'm the brother of James and I'm a servant of Jesus. They won't say, I'm the brother of, of the Lord. That's a, a later on tradition. You don't have to agree with me, that's fine. It's going to show that in the Orthodox tradition, Mary has some very interesting decisions to make when the angel speaks. Because she is going to be ridiculed her entire life. She's going to have to live with another family and no one is going to believe her. Who's going to believe? Yes, an angel came into my room and, uh, and now I'm pregnant. Wow, that's awesome. I'm sorry, who came into your room again? Oh, he said he was an angel. Yeah. And when Joseph dies, then do the brothers, do they believe it? No, all of her life. She is going to be ridiculed and scorned. She's going to have shame and she takes it all with unbelievable humility, does she not? And there's a very good example for us. She hears from God. She doesn't parade it like pride. I heard from the Lord. God told me. So you'd all better listen. God speaks, yes. Funny thing is, often in our day and age, when God speaks to people, pride fills up. We're so proud that God talks to us. We're so tempted to succumb to pride. God talks to me. God told me to come to Israel. The number of times people have told me that, <laughs> and then they leave within three months. Go, hmm. Not 100% sure that was God. We have to be careful. I think that when God speaks to people, yes, go do what he says. And what does Mary do with it? She does what he says. But she also ponders these things in her heart, very humbly, very quietly, accepting all of the ridicule, all of the shame that she's going to feel all of her life. For me, what's interesting is when Jesus resurrects, one of the first people he goes and sees is James. Could you imagine that conversation? Hey, how you doing? Got a word for you, brother? (gasps) Wrong. (laughs) Oh, and you haven't been very nice to mum. And so the tradition is that after uh, 
the resurrection, James actually takes care of Mary. And he guards her. And he keeps her inside his house. And we see Mary, we hear her in, uh, in Acts chapter 1. But then she kind of disappears. We never see her again. And uh, one of the early church fathers recorded, I forgot his name, starts with a T. And uh, he recorded that Mary lived a further 12 years after the resurrection. And so you don't see her again in Acts. When, when Paul goes back to Jerusalem, she's never mentioned. She's not there. She's, she's, she's disappeared. And so in terms of our archaeology that's in the city, where do the older traditions think that Mary lived? Up here on Mount Zion. That's why the church is called the Dormition Abbey. And uh, underneath the upper room, the crusader structure, which we all know is not possibly the uh, Last Supper because it's a straight crusader building, but it's guarding a tomb called the Tomb of King David, which is not King David. Uh, it's actually a 12th century crusader knight, but don't tell the Orthodox that because uh, uh, then they have to give it back. And then after that, underneath that is a Byzantine church to Mary. And so the site is recording that perhaps that was the Church of the Apostles, which is recorded by um, Eusebius, that on, on, the, on Mount Zion, that's where the Apostles built a, a headquarters and where they kept, kept Mary. And so some of that hints, some of that hints are still playing around in our, uh, in our archaeology. So in our text, uh, in, in Luke anyway, Mary has a song. She has a poem. We read it a little bit. And it's, very, it's, it, it's reminiscent of the other Mary that's in the Bible, Miriam. Miriam, who appears in the book of Exodus, um, doesn't say anything until she picks up a tambourine and starts singing. Okay? The song of Mary, as you know, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. Um, she hasn't said a word before that. Uh, and, in, and in our case here, Mary does something very similar. She appears in the text, please, Joseph, Take Mary as your wife, and then when it's time for her to encounter the angel, she'll break into a song in the same chapter. And uh, we get a bit of those prophecies, a bit of those sweet words where she says, all generations will call me blessed. So we've got to ponder those things. And God is fulfilling his promises to his people. He is doing all those things that he said that he would. So let's have a little look at the text of that we two, the two texts that we had today. So in the Isaiah 7 passage, its context is King Ahaz of Judah is in trouble. There's a military invasion underway. There's a large army encamped in the territory of Ephraim. People are panicking. Everyone's afraid. There's a lot of uncertainty in the air. And the prophet comes and gives him a message of deliverance. You'll be delivered. And not only that, there's going to be a sign for you. A virgin will give birth and his name will be Emmanuel. Now the Hebrew word there is Alma, which occurs about 10 times in the Hebrew Bible. And in most occasions, it literally just means young maiden. doesn't actually mean virgin. And so some of our skeptics and some of our opponents 
and those that might debate us uh, and say that, look, you know, this prophecy has been taken completely out of context. It doesn't say virgin at all. Uh, thankfully enough, we have a book called the Septuagint, which is Hebrew Bible translated into Greek, uh, a couple of generations prior to Yeshua, prior to Jesus. And in that translation, this is done by Jewish people, before there's any Christians, and they take that word and they take, use the Greek word uh, parthenos, which means virgin. So several generations prior to Jesus, they knew that that message of deliverance, the coming one that was going to set everything right, some of the things that God was going to do, would be done through a virgin. And in the context of Matthew, we have the same problem. We've got military occupation. The Parthian Empire and the Roman Empire are constantly fighting. There's a lot of uncertainty going on there. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. What are we waiting for? What actually is coming to us? None of us know. We've got corruption at home. We've got false teachers in our temple. There is a lot of tension. And then our hero, Joseph, has a dream. And there are not actually that many dreams in the Bible, only a few. And uh, so he gets a dream. And the dream is, plan A is still on track. I don't have a plan B. Plan A is coming. You have a message of hope. Things are going to happen, just like the prophet foretold it. You'll call his name. We don't call it Emmanuel. We call him Jesus, Yeshua. For what is Emmanuel? It's written right here at the altar. And we all walk past to come and, uh, and celebrate together and commune together and eat and drink together in the presence of God, which is a very special moment then this altar was built by Jewish people here at, uh, in the, in that, at Christchurch in the House of Industry. And it's got three languages that were on the cross of Jesus, Greek, Hebrew, and Latin. And on this one, you've got Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. Who's the first and the last, I hear you ask? It is, it's Yeshua, it's Jesus. In the middle, Immanuel, God with us. He's wearing a crown, because he is a king and there's a a star of David to remind us that he is indeed Messiah indeed is Jewish and then on the other side you have uh, Isus Hominum Salvator a uh, a Latin symbol because there actually are no J's in Hebrew, Greek or Latin Jesus the saviour of man this is his job description they're not the names of the Messiah that's his job description he is the first and the last he is the saviour of man and he is God with us. We're about to have Christmas. Advent is prepping us up, not just for the coming of the Lord, but also for Christmas. And we're going to have thousands, we hope, of Israelis coming here. And they will want to know, what is it you do? What is it you believe? What is it you eat and drink? What is it you sing? Tell us the story. What, what do you guys do? What's this idea of God coming down? Since when has that ever happened? So when has it happened, guys? Exodus. First thing that God does when he gets them, his people out of Egypt, he says, build me a tabernacle. Why? So I want to live with you. I mean, isn't that interesting? One of the unique things, in fact, the unique thing about Israel is that their God wanted to live with them. Everybody else's God lives on top of a mountain in Olympus 
or deep under the earth, guarded by a three-headed dog, or inside trees, guarded by crazy droods. But Israel's God wanted to live with them. You build me a tabernacle, and this tabernacle is going to get made out of a special material. In Hebrew, it's called tachash. No one knows what the heck that means. But apparently, it's some sort of skin. God wants to live inside skin. Ooh. And then in Exodus 41, it tells you how long it built, took them to build the tabernacle. Have a guess how long. Nine months. You yeah, wow. God is doing it again. And the great thing about Tachash is that it only occurs three times in the Bible. Once, when God says, you make this tabernacle out of it. Two, when you're putting, taking it apart to, to, to move it, the Levites had to wrap the Ark of the Covenant in Tachash. And then in Ezekiel, God says to his people who are in, in Babylon, I'm going to bring you back and I'm going to wrap you in Tachash. The very same thing I wrap myself in, I'm going to wrap you in. Because that's how much I care about you. It's an amazing story. And it's going to happen. Now, some of you have heard me say before that uh, in my, my sojourn here in the Holy Land, I've learned that beginnings and ends always occur in the same place. They occur in the same fashion. They occur in the same way. It's a, a very interesting thing that God does. So the first virgin that we have in the Bible is who? Eve. And Eve hears a voice and is tempted to eat the forbidden fruit, which she does. And according to Jewish tradition, have a guess when she eats it. The 14th of Aviv, which is Passover. You see, in the, in the Bible, the, the world is created on the 1st of Aviv. And then humans are made on the 6th of Aviv, the 6th day. And then they have a whole week just getting to know each other and the Lord and counting all the animals and all that kind of wonderful stuff and learning how the garden grows. Now we get to the 13th of Aviv. The next day, the serpent comes and tempts them. It's the 14th of Aviv. It's Passover. And so again, according to Jewish Christian tradition, Mary, another virgin, hears the voice and obeys. First woman disobeys, second virgin, virgin obeys. When does, a, when does Mary hear the voice? Passover. And uh, nine months from Passover is which festival in the Jewish calendar? Chanukah. And isn't it interesting? We're about to have it. And anyone read the book of the Maccabees? That we gave a lecture about it last week. Interestingly enough, in the Maccabees, uh, when they dedicate the temple, they dedicate the temple, which is what Hanukkah means, to, uh, to inaugurate or to dedicate, they dedicate the temple on the 25th. Ooh. But I thought we were all following a pagan calendar for Christmas. That's not true. Today is the winter solstice. Did anyone know that? If, you know, that was the pagan, pagan holiday. Normally, it's on the 21st. Today, it's on the 22nd because next year's a leap year. Right? We're about to reset the clock. 
So we're about to jump back. So next year, we will have an extra day of the, of the year and we'll go back to the winter solstice being on, on the 21st. So Christmas is not, please don't tell me it's a pagan holiday. Just don't. <laughs> So Mary hears the voice of heaven at Passover and she obeys. Joseph also obeys, does he not? And that's a good thing. So how do we honor Mary? How do we say that she is, all generations will call her blessed? How do we do it? Well, I remember David Plaguey having to give this sermon about four years ago. And he said, the way you honor Mary is by obeying her son. And that's what we should do. So how should we obey her son? We will follow his commandments. Blessed is he who hears my words and obeys them. And his commandments are not burdensome, he says. So we will choose love. Love is a choice. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, not when you feel like it. Not after you've had about six bars of chocolates and are really into that warm, fuzzy stuff. Okay? Not when you happen to fall over head and heels in love, but you will love the Lord your God even when you don't want to. Because love is a choice. Lust, well, that's something else. That's another sermon entirely. Love is a choice. And we can choose to love. Be involved in prayer. Jesus was Jesus told us to, when you pray, pray like this. Be involved in prayer. Give generously. Jesus says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Yes, Christmas is a great time to get a gift, but it is a better time to give one. A much better time to give. So give generously and humbly. Just like Mary, just like Jesus. We can look at these heroes and we can take their example of humility and take it for ourselves. Divorce ourselves from pride. Particularly if you hear from God. It's great that you hear from the Lord. But humbly ponder that and boldly do it. Defend the weak. Look after the widows and the orphans and defend the weak. When somebody needs someone to defend them, make sure it's you. And always speak the truth because the truth is going to set us free, yes? So in this world that's full of tension, full of uncertainty, all kinds of things are coming, climate change, rising sea levels, maybe none of that, okay? economic collapse, maybe war, definitely Christmas, but the coming of the Lord is soon. And in a world that doesn't know what's coming, and doesn't know how to react, then we, you and I, we have a very special gift to give. We have a very special gift. We have the treasure of the world, do we not? And in those golden hands, we can give it to them. The treasure of the world. Hope that our God is sitting on the throne and he is ruling and reigning and plan A is going along just and that is good news. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, 
Let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.